Welcome back, and thanks for taking part in this series on the Gospel of John and other works of John. The tour through John is now up to Lesson 4. Hope you've been learning some good things, even if you are a veteran Bible reader. Um, I find that it doesn't matter how many times I've studied a biblical book. Each round, there's more to learn. Last time, we looked at day one and then day two, and in John chapter one, it's an interesting compression of four days. Uh, I'm going to fill this out, of course, as we as we finish off these um, the second two days in this podcast. If you want a, a, a parallel to this, uh, Mark does this a similar thing, where he'll compress an entire, well, it looks like the events of a week or a month, compressed into the framework of a day to make it easier for us to learn. Uh, in a similar way, Mark and the other Gospels, except for John, compress Jesus' entire ministry into a year. And so it's a simpler way to follow it rather than the actual three or three plus years that it was, according to John. Oh, one more example, the last chapter of Luke. You get the impression that Jesus rises from the dead, um, appears, uh, has the Emmaus Road incident, um, appears again, uh, goes out to Bethany and ascends into heaven. You get the impression that it all takes place on one day, but in fact, it takes uh, place over 50 days. Well, 40 days, 40 days. Um, so this idea of compression is, uh, is is a useful concept. So as we, we read um, last time, when we came to verse number, oh, what, what was it? It said the next day, I can find it. Yes, wait for it. Here it comes. Yes, the next day, verse 29. So it says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Then we read in verse 35, the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. So now we're on day three, okay? And then very soon, we'll be on day four. Because in verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So we actually have four days in chapter 1. And to make it really interesting, look at John 2, verse 1, and you'll see that the way they approached storytelling and chronology, it's not the way we would do it, but that's just fine. John 1, 35. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and he watched Jesus walk by, and he exclaimed, look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? Okay, so this is the third day. Again, John directs disciples to Christ. Jesus receives the disciples. He's happy to, and he spends time with them. Now, this is not the later call to become fishers of men that we read about in Matthew 4, Luke 5, Mark 1. Jesus here is a relationship builder, not just a preacher. I think it's important to put together both pictures, the picture of the immediate call, Mark 1, and the, the call to friendship and just spend time together in John 1. Andrew brings his brother to Christ. That's what we're going to see in just a moment. And then, um, well, let, let's just go ahead and read it. Uh, they asked him, well, where are you staying? He said to them, verse 39, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You're Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Okay, Jesus is building relationship. He spends time with them. Andrew invites his brother. Uh, Jesus calls Simon, or Shimon in Hebrew. But he gives him a new name, uh, Kepha, Aramaic for rock, which is uh, written in Greek as Cephas or Kephas. This name has prophetic and descriptive qualities, doesn't it? Because Jesus is looking into the character of Peter. He's looking into his future, into his heart, and into the impact he will have. Another thing you may may notice here, um, there are a number of times where the writer steps aside to make sure his readers understand what he's saying. Like we just read, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. You're to be Cephas, which is translated Peter. So the uh, writer does not assume that the audience is familiar with Aramaic or or Hebrew. There are a number of times that um, he will clarify potentially unfamiliar terms like rabbi, which means teacher or my great one, verse 38, the Messiah, Mashiach, the anointed one or the Christ, Kephas, verse 42, and there are other clarifications that we'll find in, in other, um, uh, other passages in John, like 9, 7, 20, verse 16, and so on. So this tells us something, that the target audience don't really have the rich Jewish background. I guess they, they could be diaspora Jews. They could be diaspora Jews in the dispersion, but they may not be prim- primarily Jewish at all. And yet there are abundant references to the events and theology of the Old Testament. If you really want to appreciate John's gospel, make sure you're a great student of the Old Testament, and it's very, very rich. But the fact that he constantly translates things, make sure that people understand, um, and he's writing in Greek, uh, tells me that he's writing to people whose mother uh, tongue is Greek. Okay, so this is, he's not writing to people in Israel. These are people outside. All right, so a brother uh, invites a brother, uh, which is a great thing. You know, Andrew, it's not, Andrew doesn't do it all alone. He he finds his brother and he tells him, we found the Messiah and he brings him to Jesus. But then Jesus kind of takes over and looks into his heart and his future. And then we're going to come to day four, uh, starting in verse 43. And here, Jesus will go north from Judea to Galilee. And he'll meet Philip. And Philip, in turn, will speak to Nathaniel. So you see this pattern of you know, people sharing with friends. These first three men are from Bethsaida. And that's a fishing village that was discovered in the 1980s, identified, well, was identified, uh, I guess, in the, the, the late 90s. And uh, it's a cool place to visit. And these people join Jesus's group. And Nathaniel, who were the last guy we'll meet in this chapter, he's from Cana. Uh, and that's a town we're going to read about in the next chapter where Jesus' famous wedding miracle takes place. Okay, so let's read uh, this next uh, and actually final section of John uh, chapter 1. Ready? The next day, this is day four, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, 
Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now we've read all of John 1. So what are we to make of this interaction with Nathaniel? It's fascinating in so many ways, intriguing. And uh, you'll notice also Nathaniel makes the confession. This is the second confession of the seven in John's gospel. Rabbi, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. So he's got, he's the Messiah, he's the king, he's the son of God, he's got his divinity. And Nathaniel doesn't seem like a likely follower at first from the things he says, but he turns so quickly. What an amazing interaction. Nathaniel is skeptical. He's stereotyped Nazareth and all who come from this backwards town. And if you visit Nazareth, um, it wasn't very big. Now, there's a great place if you go to Nazareth called Nazareth Village, which is a reconstruction of kind of the ancient um, lifestyle and just the way they lived and did things. And it's brilliant. You'll really like that. But Nazareth was pretty small. There was a bigger town uh, not too far, a few kilometers away, called Sepphoris. But Nazareth was really a, a backwater. And so Philip responds perfectly to the skeptic. What does he say? Does he try to reason with them? Well, you know, um, uh, valuable things, big things, you know, they come in small packages or, um, you know, it's not the size that matters. No, he doesn't reason with the skeptic. He actually just says, come and see. Come and see. Well, isn't that exactly what was said in verse 39? When they asked Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Okay, uh, put that, uh, put your finger there if you're marking the place mentally. We're going to come back to there in a few minutes. Come and see, come and see. Now Jesus comments on Nathaniel's genuineness. Nathaniel speaks his mind, doesn't he? Nathaniel agrees with Jesus's summation of his own character. He's amazed at Jesus's insight. Now we know that the Lord can look into people's hearts. We see that uh, in chapter 2, 24, 25. But what is it? I mean, he says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. I mean, what was he doing under the fig tree? Or, yeah, I mean, was he using um, his ability, some supernatural power? Because it, Jesus is somewhat reluctant. I mean, he, he does a number of signs um, in the Gospel of John. But as in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's always a bit reluctant to do that. What he saw, was it something natural? I mean, maybe he saw... Who knows? Maybe he saw Nathaniel studying scripture or Nathaniel was praying and Jesus saw something. Or, or maybe it's something that he couldn't possibly have known. Um, and But Nathaniel realizes that Jesus knows. Difficult to say. But Nathaniel agrees when Jesus says, you're a, you're a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit. I mean, the guy speaks his mind. In a few days, um, 
we'll be in New York City. Now, I grew up near New York, about 10 miles away, and you, you think of the people from New York, whether they're from Manhattan or any of the boroughs, they, they speak their mind, right? So I always think of Nathaniel as being you know, a guy from New York, <laughs> okay? So, and then he, he, he switches over and he says, wow, you're the, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. So he makes this amazing confession. Nathaniel is stunned by Jesus. He changes his assessment. Okay, he's from Nazareth, so what? You know, this guy's the Messiah. And then uh, look what happens next. Jesus' response. Uh, Jesus very seldom accepts direct praise without any comment. Uh, there are places he does that in John, but look what he does here. He says, you believe? Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? <laughs> You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is a reference to Jacob's ladder, uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Jacob falls asleep and he has a dream of a stairway to heaven. It, it may have been, may have been um, like a tower, a ziggurat, like the Tower of Babel, um, a, a staircase, or it may have been a straight ladder. I, I, um, I'm kind of reading through the Old Testament in the Greek and the Septuagint version, and the word ladder is klimax in English, climax. So it's it does seem it's like a ladder more than a staircase, but in Genesis 28. Angels are ascending and descending on this stairway to heaven. Well, what's Jesus saying here? You'll see greater things than these. You're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Certainly, Jesus is saying, I am the stairway to heaven. I am the way to heaven. I came down from heaven. No one's gone up, John 3.13 says. But I've come down, and the angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. It's a quite a strange passage, but if you read the background, the assumed Old Testament passage, Genesis 28, 12, then it makes sense. Jesus is the stairway to heaven. He's the way to be saved. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And there are many such statements like this in John. So to sum up, the true Israelite, you know, if Nathaniel's a true Israelite, he ought to recognize Jesus as the Messiah once his initial doubts or objections have been met. And that that's great. You know, there are people we'll try to share our faith with who may be skeptical. They may actually be agnostics or atheists. But if they're good-hearted, that doesn't really matter uh, because the initial doubts or objections will give way. Of course, this was a far cry from how most Jews received Jesus. Think of all the people in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a body of 71 elders of the people. Now, we know that uh, Joseph of Arimathea uh, was a follower of Jesus. We read great things about Nicodemus. But most were, were afraid. Uh, they were afraid to, you know, you, they, they probably thought they were men of integrity and truth. But the real Israelite is someone who's much more like Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, true worshipers of God must worship in spirit and truth genuineness of faith, not doctrinal truth. Well, that's important, but that's not what John 4 24 is saying. So uh, being a true Israelite is not saying he doesn't have any uh, Egyptian blood in him or he's not contaminated by uh, Aramean uh, genes or something. True Israelite, he's talking about the character and particularly uh, genuineness. So already in chapter one, 
we're getting a very good picture of what the word looks like when it becomes flesh, how God moves among the people. Every single interaction of Jesus tells us something about God. Uh, just a couple more uh, notes for you. The way Jesus looks at Nathaniel could entail powers like those of Elisha in 2 Kings or Ezekiel in Ezekiel. And I've written the references uh, for you when you look at the notes if you want to go deeper into that. Some people think Nathaniel is the Apostle Bartholomew, quite possibly. And um, I've already mentioned that we have these four days kind of compressed into chapter 1, and uh, which raises certain questions for chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, I'll let you wrestle with that later on. But I want to return, uh, ask you to put your finger uh, in that uh, in those verses where Jesus says, come and see, right? And then Philip says, Nathaniel, come and see. This is a kind of a minor theme in John. I've always wanted to do a sermon on this, and and I haven't done it yet, but but I will. In uh, chapter 4, when the woman goes back to Sichar, she tells her people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And then there's another passage in John 11, uh, where Jesus asked about Lazarus, Lazarus, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Well, of course, the Lord's not the one who needs to come and see because he sees. But come and see is one of those themes in John. And I think it ties into what we looked at last time, uh, that theme of testimony. It's one person, not just um, bearing witness through a list of propositions or logical reasons for faith, but it's um, an invitation as well. So it's not just bearing test- witness but or giving testimony, but it's, it's an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good, like First Peter and the Psalms um, have. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's the invitation. Uh, there's, logic has a limit. I mean, there are many great books that can help people come to faith. That's great. They help me. They help a lot of people out there. Most of the world will need that kind of assistance, but eventually we've got to come and see. We've got to come and see, see what it's like to be with believers. Come and see what the Christian life um, is. You can't get that from a book. You've got to be with people. Eventually, uh, even means coming together with people who are following Christ, coming to church. Come and see. That is the invitation. We become Christians because we're invited. We're invited. I only know of one person who became a Christian without being invited, and that was an atheist who found a, a Bible on the sidewalk in Europe, and he read the Bible, and he figured out, I need to come to Jesus. Oh, and you got to get baptized to be saved, and, and he found a preacher who would baptize him, I and mean, he figured it all out. But that is incredibly rare. I mean, I've met tens of thousands of people. He's the only one, only one in that position. We come to God when someone invites us to come and see. Well, tomorrow we'll continue uh, in John chapter 2 with the uh, water turning to wine. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for those who took a chance to bear testimony um, and invite us to come and see, helped us to become Christians. We respect so much the apostles who went out after Jesus' death and even before, but they, they went out and and they invited people to, to come and see that Jesus was the Messiah. We appreciate in 
the incarnate Word of God, Christ as human, told us to come and see. Let this be our message, not feeling the pressure to answer every question, but feeling love and care and asking others to to experience for themselves, to come and see. Lord, let this thought go with us today. We thank you for the scriptures we've been able to look at. Amen.